At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, it is our privilege to partner with local churches both in the United States and around the world in training men for the gospel ministry. If your church supports CBTS with $200 a month and a commitment to pray for us, any student in your church can attend CBTS tuition-free. To learn more about how you can partner with us in providing informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, visit cbtseminary.org. Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Austin McCormick here, and today I have the privilege to speak with John DeVito. So welcome back to the podcast, brother. Thank you. It's good to be back. And uh, some time has passed since we last had you on, and uh, last time you discussed family worship. We want to encourage our listeners to go and listen to that excellent conversation. But uh, can you just spend a a little bit of time reintroducing yourself and telling our listeners about uh, the podcast that you have come to co-host since that time has passed that we've last had you on? Sure. Well, uh, I, again, I'm John DeVito and am pastor of Cornerstone Fellowship Church here in Newburgh, Indiana. Uh, So for those uh, that are familiar with the Evansville, Indiana area of Southwest Indiana, uh, we're kind of here close to the corner uh, on the border of Kentucky and not far from uh, 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 Illinois. Uh, But, but I've uh, been married for, uh, we, my wife and I recently celebrated our 24th anniversary. So I've been married to my wife, Jennifer now for over 24 years and uh, we have four children together. So uh, between pastoral ministry responsibilities and, and family life, of course, it keeps us busy. Uh, but as you say, I, I'm also on the board of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, and uh, the seminary began a podcast network within the last couple of years uh, to try to help equip uh, the church, uh, equip especially Christian leaders uh, in uh, the teachings of Scripture in light of the confession that we uh, hold to of the 689 Second London Confession of Faith. And uh, as part of that, uh, I asked my good friend, uh, Pastor Tom Hicks from First Baptist Church of Clinton, Louisiana, uh, if he would be interested in having some discussions and conversations on the law and the gospel uh, for a, a new podcast there. And so uh, he agreed. We, we've been friends for a long time and, and we have mutual, um, not only mutual convictions, but also concerns of, of uh, how to rightly uh, divide and handle the word of God uh, in light of the law and the gospel. And, and so we began that podcast. We uh, named it the Modern Merriman Podcast because uh, we see ourselves as uh, kind of heirs to the uh, modern Merrowmen, uh, or well, sorry, the Merrowmen uh, that that uh, were there in in, in Scotland, and uh, based on a work by Edward Fisher called "The Marrow of Modern Divinity." So you kind of take modern from that and Merrowmen and bring it together. Plus, we're obviously uh, modern Merrowmen living today, and so. Uh, so we, we tried to bring that together, and, and now we've been going for uh, pretty close to a year. I, I don't know exactly how many episodes have been broadcast uh, or, or posted to the Man of God Network, uh, but I, I always enjoy my conversations with Tom Hicks, and uh, so far the response seems to be that, that many are appreciating the podcast, so I'm grateful for that. 
Amen. Yeah. And that is an excellent resource. We commend it to our listeners, the Modern Marrow Men podcast hosted by John DeVito and Tom Hicks on the uh, Man of God podcast network by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, the topic that we're going to be talking about is one that you have discussed on that uh, podcast. And the right. topic for today is the Lord's Day Sabbath. So can you tell our listeners um, your own theological journey on this issue? And we'll start more specifically with uh, your thoughts about the Sabbath as an unbeliever. Yeah, sure. And and here I may be different from some because I was uh, raised as a Mormon. So I, I was raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, and so when many people think of uh, unbeliever, you know, they may think of an atheist or agnostic or somebody who just doesn't care about religion. Uh, but I, I was raised in a, in a different religion than, uh, you know, biblical Christianity than, than true Christianity uh, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, and so in many ways, Mormonism could uh, be summarized as using the same uh, language as Christianity, but uh, redefining uh, some of the, the or, or many of the words that we use. Uh, and so, you know, they'll speak of being the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and yet who Jesus Christ is is different. They explicitly deny the Trinity. Uh, the, 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 the gospel is, is, is not the same. And, and, and so there's, there's, of course, this isn't an episode talking about Mormonism and, and, and yeah, you know, Christianity. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, is in this environment, I was raised in, in a very religious environment. Uh, I would say that when one looks at Mormonism, it's a very legalistic environment. And so, for example, uh, the founding prophet uh, of the Mormon church, Joseph Smith, uh, summarized the beliefs of uh, the church uh, in what are generally called the Articles of Faith. And uh, in the third article of faith, uh, it says that we believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. So you can hear then this uh, not having a, a, a biblical distinction between law and gospel. And there's this confusion that takes place in Mormonism. So the way I was raised, uh, my eternal life depended on me keeping God's law, including the Ten Commandments. And of course, that meant uh, that I had to keep the Sabbath day holy. Uh, and so growing up that way as, as, as an unbeliever, uh, but still very, a very religious unbeliever. Uh, I, I grew up in a household where my parents set down rules for us to follow uh, of what was and wasn't allowed on Sunday. And then, of course, we were expected to, to keep those rules and, and attend the uh, ward meetings and, and, and the other uh, things that uh, the, the, the activities and events that the church had. Uh, so so the, the, the Sabbath was uh, really central to my life as an unbeliever, uh, but it was legalistically, it was uh, through this obedience that I would ultimately, um, that I would ultimately seek to uh, come into the, the, the presence of God eternally. And, and so, you know, without getting into all the theology behind that, uh, it, 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 it was, I need to do these things in order to uh, find a favor with God and be able to live with him. Yeah. Thank you for sharing with that brother. And so 
now I'm interested to know how did your experience and understanding of the Sabbath change whenever you first became a follower of Jesus Christ? Yeah, well, in, in many ways, I frankly swung to the opposite extreme. Um, I came to Christ in college through a, a campus ministry. Uh, and, and so once I became a Christian, I just came to think there really is no longer Sabbath. Um, I, I don't ever remember being taught about the Sabbath in those years. It wasn't a focus of the campus ministry I was involved with, of the church that I was going to. And frankly, Christians in church and uh, those in the campus ministry didn't really do anything different on Sunday uh, than they would any other day of the week, other than they'd normally go to church in the morning, right? And so, so normally you go to church in the morning, but otherwise you kind of live your life every day the same or, or just however... Uh, however you want. And, and so I, I early on just figured that uh, Sabbath keeping was, was wrong along with a lot of other Mormon teaching. Uh, and, and so, you know, even as I continue to grow in my understanding of, of Christianity and, and continue to read God's word, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure for a time uh, I, I simply saw, you know, we, we, uh, have the Sabbath rest in Christ. And, and so that's how I've continued to live my life. And now I suspect that this question may take uh, the most part of the conversation's time and that's okay. It, sure. It's going to be good for the purpose of the conversation. Um, what do you now believe the Bible teaches about the Lord's day Sabbath? And can you give us a scriptural presentation of what you think the Bible teaches about the Christian Sabbath? Sure. Well, I, I really have come to, uh, uh, through a continued study of scripture, through a uh, gleaning from uh, the uh, Christian history and, and, and an understanding of uh, the wisdom that the Spirit had uh, helped uh, many believers throughout the years and the centuries, have, have come to see that the Sabbath is a moral law that was uh, revealed by nature and appointed on the seventh day of the week through positive institution from creation until the coming of Christ. Uh, but since Christ's death and resurrection, uh, a new creation has begun in him, and the first day of the week is now appointed as the Christian Sabbath, uh, since this is the Lord's day when Christ rose from the dead. Uh, so it, it's neither the legalistic you know, Sabbath that I grew up with uh, as a Mormon, nor is it the kind of no Sabbath or fulfilled Sabbath uh, view that uh, I came to understand in my younger years as a Christian. But as I've continued to mature in my faith, I, I've come to see the uh, relevance and, and the value of the Sabbath. Uh, but, but it's come through a, a, a study of, of scripture through the years. And of course, I, I don't have time to offer a full scriptural presentation on the Christian Sabbath. It's, it's not simply a matter of quoting a, a verse here or there, uh, but it's, it's really looking at scripture as a whole and seeing how this um, Sabbath develops through the pages of scripture. So just to kind of paint a, a short sketch course, we can go back to creation itself. When God rested on the seventh day uh, and he set it apart, 
uh, as a holy day. So again, on the sixth day, remember God created man in his image to work for him by filling the earth and subduing it and dominion over it. And then God sets apart the seventh day to reveal that mankind would also enter into it uh, into, into this rest once our work was complete. So this, this then becomes humanity's pattern from creation, that there's six days of work, but then followed by a Sabbath day of rest, which was a weekly reminder then of God's promise of rest for us once our work is complete, right? So we, we then first read of God's people observing the Sabbath day uh, as Israel enters into the wilderness uh, they've been set free, of course, from their slavery to Egypt. But before they come to Mount Sinai and receive God's law there, uh, um, we see this observance take place uh, through their collecting of the manna that God provides to them. Uh, and they're to collect you know, two days so that they don't collect on the Sabbath, right? But it, it's ultimately then at Sinai, Mount Sinai, that this weekly pattern was written by God on tablets of stone in the Ten Commandments uh, as they've now been set free from slavery uh, and are about to enter into the promised land uh, through, through, of course, the next generation that comes. And so we find that as God placed Adam in the garden with work to do and a weekly Sabbath day founded on God's rest, so he also placed Israel in the promised land of Canaan with work to do and a weekly Sabbath day founded on God's rest, as well as his redemption then uh, from slavery in Egypt. So you, you have this continuing idea of Sabbath that, uh, that we read more and more about as the Old Testament continues. But if we are to skip forward or jump ahead to the New Testament, uh, we can learn what happens with the Sabbath when Christ came. And I'd suggest the central passage for us to consider here is uh, Hebrews 4. Uh, Hebrews 4, uh, 1 to 11, where uh, the author of Hebrews focuses on God's promise of entering his rest, uh, because here in verses 9 to 10, especially, uh, we, we read of the Sabbath for Christians. And so uh, if it's okay, I'll go ahead and, and read the, the scripture passage here as, and, and then offer some comments on it. But here we read in Hebrews 4, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospels preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time, as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts." For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Uh, and, and as we come to this chapter of Scripture, Hebrews 4, uh, this passage is really part of a larger exposition 
that is uh, uh, really coming out of Psalm 95 here. Uh, and, and here then there's this bringing together of Genesis chapter 2, when God rested on the seventh day and blessed it, with the wilderness generation of Israel, who had rebelled against God and were judged by him. Uh, and, and so they then died in the wilderness, not entering into the rest of the promised lands. They'd been set free, they'd received his law, uh, but in rebelling against God, uh, not having faith in him, they then were not able to enter the promised land. And then David draws on this in Psalm 95, when he warns his generation that today they needed to hear God's voice and not harden their hearts as they did in the, those wilderness days of rebellion. Uh, so David makes this connection to those he's originally writing by saying like Israel in the wilderness, Israel in the promised land could still fail to enter God's promised rest. And so David warns them that they too can forsake his rest in unbelief and disobedience, right? So uh, we consider then what's this argument in Hebrews 4, uh, we see that this promised land then, it was a shadow, uh, a type, a, a picture of a greater spiritual rest to come in Christ, which is why Joshua did not give Israel rest when they entered the promised land, right? And so he was a lesser Jesus. That's what Joshua literally, <laughs> or, or Jesus is, is, is Joshua. You have this lesser Joshua uh, who is having them enter the, the promised land there of Canaan, who is pointing us forward to the greater Joshua or Jesus, who has now opened the entrance to God's rest in him. So our rest in Christ begins when we believe in him and are saved, which is why Jesus says, you know, come to me, all you who are labor and, and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Uh, but we live in an already not yet tension. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening or have already heard about this whole idea of the already and not yet you know, we're already saved, and yet we're not yet receiving the fullness of salvation, you know, when, when Christ returns. And, and in a similar way, we will not fully and finally enter God's rest until Christ returns and will enjoy eternal rest in the presence of God in the age to come. And so we too then are like God's people in the wilderness. We're waiting to enter our promised land of heaven, and this is why Psalm 95 then also serves as a warning for us, that we must believe in the gospel and persevere through the temptations and trials in life by our faith in Christ to enter God's rest. And so we read here then in Hebrews 4, verse 11, let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Okay, so a lot of background and developing of context to, to think about what verses 9 and 10 mean, uh, but it's in this context that we hear of our Sabbath rest uh, in Christ in verse 9, where to read, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. Now, uh, here I'm using the New King James, uh, but the word rest here is the Greek word sabbatismos, or Sabbath. Uh, and so this is, uh, we could say, there remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Uh, so we, we continue to have a Sabbath to observe. Uh, but this is also where we see our Sabbath rest change from the seventh day to the first day of the week. Because we read in verse 10 uh, here, 
that for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Now, what we find then here is that our Sabbath observance remains in Christ because Christ entered into his rest through his death and resurrection. Now, this is heavily debated, okay, uh, because verse 10 begins with a pronoun. Uh, I, as, as I read it uh, there in verse 10, for he who has entered his rest, and the question is, who is he, right? This is the pronoun then that must be interpreted, and many today would say that the he here refers to Christians rather than to Christ himself. And so we see this in various translations that have been influenced in this way. For example, the, the ESV says, for whoever has entered God's rest, uh, the NIV says, for anyone who enters God's rest. The NLT says, for all who have entered God's rest. But again, the pronoun here is the masculine singular. He, which is why I prefer here the New King James, he. Or the NASB, the one, can, can allow for that understanding. Uh, and, and I think it's important here because uh, there's a difference between this pronoun and what the people of God are consistently referred to through this passage. Uh, we as Christians are referred to in the plural. We're us in verse 1. We're we in verse 3. We're us in verse 11. And so the he here isn't referring to us, uh, but to Christ. Uh, and, and what did Christ do in his earthly ministry? Well, he became a man and successfully carried out the work that God created for us to do so that we would enter his rest. So once his work of redemption was accomplished, Christ ceased from his works in his death and rose again with resurrection life, entering into his eternal rest. When he ascends to heaven, resting from his works as he uh, did from his, which is why then we are promised to enter this rest when he returns, right? So, so again, what's Hebrews saying? We must persevere in our faith in Christ that we will one day enter with him in his rest. And we will one day enter our rest because Christ has entered his rest. So this is the logic here of these verses, which is why until then we observe a Sabbath day, uh, which has been established on the first day of the week rather than on the seventh day. So unlike the Sabbath of the old covenant, which brought rest after six days of work, our Sabbath in Christ gives us rest on the first day of the week, which then empowers us to work the other six days. So it's through Christ's resurrection from the dead, we're given eternal life to continue living in this world until we fully experience God's rest when he returns, which is why Christ has begun a new creation, changed our Sabbath day from the end of God's creation to the beginning of Christ's new creation. Uh, so, of course, that's a, a I'm trying to keep it a brief overview of, of a fuller argument, but I think when you really seek to understand Sabbath from uh, creation uh, through Christ and, and his crucifixion and resurrection to ultimately the consummation at the end of the age, that, that, that we really come to recognize uh, what the Sabbath is and, and this Sabbath rest is in scripture. Amen, brother. Amen. I enjoyed uh, listening to you speak on that and giving us uh, a scriptural presentation for uh, the Christian Sabbath on the Lord's Day. So thank you for that. And um, I think also for this conversation, it's going to be helpful to consider 
acts of necessity yes. and acts of mercy. So mm. um, the rest of this conversation, we will begin to allude to how we can observe this Lord's Day Sabbath. But what are acts of necessity? What are acts of mercy? Why are they important for this conversation? Sure. Well, uh, usually in the Reformed tradition, you look at the various confessions and, and others who are writing about the Sabbath, uh, the Christian Sabbath or the Lord's Day, uh, they will often refer to the importance of, you know, resting from our work in order to uh, devote ourselves to worship on uh, this, this Lord's Day. Uh, but they'll uh, always uh, ex give the exception of these acts of necessity and acts of mercy. And the reason why is because they're seeking to be faithful to scripture, of course. Um, this largely comes from Matthew 12. Now we could look at other passages as well, but, but mainly Matthew 12 here, it's clearest when Jesus uh, is with his disciples on the Sabbath. And so um, again, I'll, I'll read from scripture here, but chapter 12, we read in verses one to eight, that at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place, there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So of course, you know, if you know much about the Pharisees. They'd added to God's law, these traditions of men. Right, which the, in the Gospels, Jesus exposes that as co compromise and corrupting God's intended purpose and practice of his commands. So here, uh, the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of breaking the fourth commandment because he's been eating from the grain fields, he and his disciples eating from the, the grain fields on the Sabbath day, right? Uh, now, God's law allowed for what Jesus and his disciples were doing. Uh, if you read Deuteronomy 23-25, Leviticus 23-22, uh, but this had been negated through the rules and the regulations that the Pharisees had established uh, in how to keep the Sabbath day holy, okay? So here, Jesus then responds to this accusation from the Pharisees through the example of David and his mighty men uh, in 1 Samuel 21, verses uh, 1 to 6, when they ate the showbread out of the tabernacle, because with no other food, uh, they ate the showbread, which was reserved there for the priests, because it was a necessity for them. They were hungry, they eat. Uh, and, and, and so Jesus gives us an example of uh, them uh, not breaking the Sabbath out of their hunger when they ate the showbread, right? Uh, but then Jesus refers to God's law that allows Jewish priests to work on the Sabbath and remain without blame. Uh, this was a necessary work to be carried out uh, in, in order for the worship of God's people to take place then in, of course, the, the tabernacle and the, the temple through the, the ministry of the priests. And so again, there is work that is allowed on the Sabbath. Uh, and then finally, Jesus 
gives uh, a biblical principle here by quoting Hosea 6.6, 6, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And so th this is why, you know, J.C. Ryle, I love our uh, Anglican brother, uh, but Ryle writes that Jesus lays down the great principle that no ordinance of God is to be pressed so far as to make us neglect the plain duties of charity. So really here, Jesus is concluding that it's wrong for the Pharisees to condemn the guiltless because Jesus and disciples are without guilt in eating from the grain fields. They have kept the Sabbath since Christ is Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, and, and so we, we see here Jesus correcting this misunderstanding of the Sabbath and this kind of legalistic Sabbath keeping that the Pharisees uh, were condemning them for. Uh, but then the chapter continues when Jesus goes in the synagogue. And so we read in verses 9 to 14, Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? So again, it's a Sabbath, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a charge of, of, of not being lawful on the Sabbath, right? 11, then he said to them, what man is there among you who is one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.